The names may have changed, but the hate burns just as bright. Oh, brother, someone wake me when this election is over. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Nope, not scared. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Clowns and jokers everywhere. From Pacifica Radio's KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK here in Los Angeles and up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI. Out in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. Up in Pallonville, New York on WLPP 102.9 FM. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the internet tubes. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com. We love you, Nicole. Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. You can run, and you might like to, but you can't hide from the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker. Muckraker all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com. Coming up, we will uh, head up to North Dakota. Beautiful North Dakota, I should add. Boy, would I like to go back to North Dakota right around now. Anyway, uh, we will go up to North Dakota where an ongoing and growing protest by Native American tribes is, uh, is hoping to block the construction of the massive Dakota Access Pipeline from the Bakken Shale region down to the down to the Midwest, this huge pipeline. We will speak to, and this was after um, after the Keystone XL pipeline. I believe Desi Doyen was going to run a similar route uh, from up there. As you, well, similar-ish. It's a big area. Yeah, well, so. it's a big area, and this is a big, same idea. It's a big pipeline. Big it's going to go across waterways to to bring uh, mm-hmm. oil. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Unless it's blocked by the uh, Native Americans who are up there now trying to. Uh, block the construction, block the ongoing construction. We will speak to the chairman of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe uh, about the occupation uh, protest that is uh, ongoing right now near the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation and uh, their what they consider to be sacred lands. Uh, it, the, the protest is growing. More and more uh, folks are joining those protests. Uh, members of tribes from around the country are, are joining and heading that way. Uh, We'll talk to him about that and about his day in federal court in uh, Washington, D.C. on Wednesday, where the tribe is attempting to get an injunction against the ongoing construction of that pipeline by Texas-based Energy Transport Corporations after uh, the approval for the, uh, the permit was granted to the company for the construction of the pipeline uh, permit granted by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Yep, it's shaping up as another standoff between Native Americans and federal authorities in the Dakotas. What could possibly go wrong? 
Uh, also, uh, Hillary Clinton unleashed uh, an offensive today against uh, Donald Trump and uh, what she describes as his white nationalism. We will have some of that in a moment. She has uh, just wrapped up her speech today in Reno, Nevada. Um, as well, recovery efforts following the massive earthquake in central Italy on Wednesday continues. The death toll, we uh, reported on this yesterday, now the death toll is up to uh, about 250, with hundreds of more uh, hundreds more injured and more still missing, so that death count, uh, I'm afraid, is likely to rise. Desi Doyen, will, uh, you'll be uh, back with us, of course, with the Green News Report a little bit later. Um, yep. On uh, that massive flooding in India that is uh, shockingly just getting so little attention. You offer a reason why that is in today's report. Uh, oh, and well, I guess we should be. Uh, of course, there's there's some more dark news as usual in your Green News report. But there's also some bright news because we are now celebrating this week. Here's something to celebrate. I knew we'd find something the uh, the hundredth uh, anniversary, hundredth birthday of the National Park Service. Yes, that's the folks that make sure that our national parks are still here. Our national treasures yes. are, are still here, and uh, you know, if you haven't visited the national parks, I don't know what the holdup is. Man, I'd be there today if I could. Um, all right, well, let's get to this. Uh, so, uh, Hillary Clinton. Uh, we'll, we'll have all of that in a moment. Uh, but first, uh, Hillary uh, Clinton. Went on the offensive, as I said, against Donald Trump today, um, uh, following uh, uh, Trump, who was sort of trying to preempt this uh, speech that she had been scheduled to make in Reno, Nevada today. Uh, uh, Donald Trump yesterday, I think it was on, on Wednesday in Mississippi, in Mississippi, of all places, called Hillary Clinton a bigot. Uh, he called her a bigot who sees people of color only as votes, unquote. Um and today, in a speech uh, in a, at a rally, uh, Trump's in, up in New Hampshire, Trump called it, quote, disgusting that she had called him and his supporters uh, racist. Now, she didn't actually call him a racist, uh, as far as I could tell from the parts of the speech that I was able to see before we went on air here today. But she did put out a video uh, earlier, a couple of hours before the uh, before the Reno speech, uh, in which she called some of his supporters, and in fact, she identified they are proudly racist, actually, members of the Klan, of the Ku Klux Klan, and so forth. So she put out in this video uh, various white supremacist leaders, including a number of Ku Klux Klan leaders, as I said, in their Klan outfits, speaking in support of Donald Trump. And then she moved the focus to uh, Trump's new campaign chief, Steve Bannon of Breitbart News, which is a top website on the uh, now so-called alt-right movement. Um, she, Hillary Clinton, or her at least her Twitter account, tweeted out uh, uh, this video today along with the text, quote, There's a reason the most hateful fringe of the right wing is supporting Donald Trump. And here's some of that video. The reason a lot of Klan members like Donald Trump is because a lot of what he believes, we believe in. Donald Trump would be best for the job. For president? Yeah. I am a farmer and white nationalist. Support Donald Trump. Sending out all the illegals, building a wall, and a moratorium on Islamic immigration, that's very appealing to a lot of ordinary white people. 
Voting against Donald Trump at this point is really treason to your heritage. Will you unequivocally condemn David Duke and say that you don't want his vote or that of other white supremacists? I don't know anything about white supremacists, so I don't know. Trump named Steve Bannon as his new campaign CEO. Mr. Bannon is best known for his controversial Breitbart News. A campaign chair that ran a website that has become a field day for the alt-right, which is racist and all sorts of other ists. The alt-right, which is a sort of dressed up in suits version of the neo-Nazi and white supremacist movements. A lot of what he believes, we believe in. That video, uh then ends with an ominous photo of the White House and the words, if Trump wins, they could be running the country. In her speech in Reno today, uh, she eviscerated Trump for, quote, offering a dog whistle to stir up the white nationalist, anti-immigrant, alt-right fringe supporters of his campaign. Uh, TPM notes that from the beginning, the GOP nominee had built his campaign on uh, prejudice and paranoia, as uh, Clinton described it, all the while inviting the radical fringe to take over the Republican Party. Clinton took aim at Trump's most hateful supporters, as she called them, members of the so-called alt-right, uh, the loosely organized anti-establishment movement that has proliferated in white nationalist anti-Muslim corners of the of the Internet Uh, while riffing on Trump's recent line, which we've covered here, asking uh, black voters, what the hell do you have to lose by casting a vote for uh, for Donald Trump? Clinton said that uh, Trump had a lot of gall to ask the communities that he has ignored and mistreated for decades what they have to lose under a Trump presidency. She criticized Trump again for bringing Steve Bannon uh, of, uh, of Breitbart News on board to lead his campaign. She read some of the headlines that the site has published uh, while uh, during Bannon's uh, tenure there at Breitbart News, including um, posts such as uh, headline, headlines such as birth control makes women unattractive and crazy. Nice. Don't look at me like that, Desi Doyen. <laughs> I didn't write it. Uh, and uh, Gabby Giffords, the gun control movement's human shield. Jeez. Ga- Gabby Giffords, of course, uh, was shot in the head, almost uh, uh, killed, actually reported as dead uh, some years ago. During, uh, Congresswoman uh, from Arizona and to, uh, giving a, a, at a, a rally, I guess, outside a uh, supermarket in uh in Tucson, Arizona, she was uh, not killed. Uh, a number of others, I think it was, uh, well, I want to say six or nine, were killed in that incident by one crazy guy with a gun who was able to shoot over and over and over until he uh, tried to change magazines and was actually tar- uh, tackled by an old lady uh, who herself almost was shot by somebody coming out with a gun from the uh, from the supermarket after hearing the uh, commotion and trying to do something about it, almost killed uh, the old lady who had taken down the shooter. Uh, in any case, I digress. Uh, Clinton also uh, reminded the crowd that Trump has frequently engaged in some of the alt-right, alt-right's favorite conspiracy theories, charging that he quotes traffics in dark conspiracy theories drawn from the pages of supermarket tabloids in the dark, the far dark reaches of the Internet. It's like nothing we've heard before from a nominee for president of the United States from one of our two major parties. From the start, Donald Trump has built his campaign on prejudice and paranoia. 
He is taking hate groups mainstream and helping a radical fringe take over the Republican Party. So no one should have any illusions about what's really going on here. The names may have changed. Racists now call themselves racialists. White supremacists now call themselves white nationalists. The paranoid fringe now calls itself alt-right. But the hate burns just as bright. And now Trump is trying to rebrand himself as well. But don't be fooled. There's an old Mexican proverb that says, tell me with whom you walk, and I will tell you who you are. But well, we know who Trump is. A few words on a teleprompter won't change that. He says he wants to make America great again, but more and more it seems as though his real message seems to be make America hate again. We wouldn't tolerate this kind of behavior before, and we wouldn't tolerate in our homes, and we should not stand for it from a presidential candidate. That was Hillary Clinton speaking in Reno, Nevada today. Uh, after the speech, uh, Trump came out swinging, of course, as you might expect on Twitter, accusing Hillary Clinton of, quote, pandering to the worst instincts in our society and accusing her of race baiting. He later uh, went on to uh, on to CNN and uh, called her a bigot over and over and over again. I guess it's the old uh, I'm rubber and your glue defense uh, from Donald Trump. So... That's what's going on in the uh, American presidential campaign here, just about uh, 75 days out from the election. That's what gets me. We still have 75 or so days to go. Yep. Where is this going to go from here? It seems like he's already got himself over the top. So you apparently think? there's a little bit you more think? to go. Uh, so, uh, yeah, well, we will see where it goes uh, in the next 75 days. I think they could be 75 long days, uh, but we will see. I suspect we'll have more on uh, on that speech, Trump's reaction to it. And and it was something we haven't even covered at all is uh, really over the past few days that has happened this week. Trump has completely flip flopped over his central his trademark uh, campaign theme of deporting uh, illegal immigrants uh, from the country. He's completely flip-flopped on that and has reversed pretty much to the policies of, uh, you know, Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush, the guys who he had criticized uh, for their uh, immigration proposals. That's what Trump is now doing. It has made uh, Ann Coulter absolutely uh, crazy. I realize that's not a long, uh, long drive for Ann Coulter. She actually put out a book called In Trump We Trust yesterday. And on that same day, he all but abandoned uh, his uh, his immigration policy, his deportation policy. Anyway, uh, yeah, I suspect we'll cover that whether we like it or not in the days ahead. Until then, let's let's take a quick break here and we will come back with this uh, this enormous three point seven billion dollar pipeline set to run nearly twelve hundred miles from the North Dakota Bakken Shale region down to refineries in southern Illinois, unless the Native American tribes in the Dakotas can stop that from happening. We will be speaking to the chairman of uh, of the tribe taking the lead there next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away.
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Welcome back. This is the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Why did the Keystone XL pipeline not get built? Asks environmental champion and 350.org founder Bill McKibben at grist.org this week. Above all, he writes, because indigenous peoples on both sides of the border took the lead in a battle that stretched over a decade. Why did Canadian leaders fail in their efforts to replace it while the northern, with the Northern Gateway Pipeline? Because tribes and bands across the west of that country made it clear they could not be bought off by the billions offered to them by the oil and pipeline companies. Why will the easiest-to-access deep-water port on the Pacific coast not be turned into the country's biggest new coal export terminal? Because the Lumi Nation at Cherry Point joined with protesters across the region to say no. This same dynamic, he writes, is at play around the world, where indigenous peoples from the Amazon to the coral atolls of the Pacific are doing more than anyone else to slow down the grinding destruction of our Earth. This week, McKibben says, the center of the fight for our planet's future has shifted to Standing Rock Sioux Reservation. Straddling the border between North Dakota and South Dakota, there, he explains, tribal members have been, well, standing like a rock in the way of the planned Dakota Access Pipeline, a huge hose for collecting oil out of the Bakken Shale and carrying it off to the Midwest and the Gulf where it can be made into gasoline. The standoff has been picturesque and dramatic, featuring American Indians on horseback. But mostly it's been brave and lonely, far from most journalists and up against the same forces that have made life hard for indigenous peoples for centuries. The U.S. Army, for instance, uh, it's the Army Corps of Engineers, he says, that last month granted Energy Transfer Corporation the permit necessary to start construction near the reservation, despite a petition signed by 150,000 people and carried on foot by young people from the reservation all the way to Washington. The enormous $3.7 billion pipeline, about the same width as the rejected Keystone Pipeline, is currently set to wind nearly 1,200 miles from North Dakota down to refineries in southern Illinois. Earlier this week, Mike Nowatsky of the uh, Forum News Service in the Bismarck Tribune reported that North Dakota's Homeland Security Director has now ordered the removal of state-owned, state-owned trailers and water tanks from the Dakota Access Pipeline protest campsite, or prayer camp, as the tribes have now described it, near tribal lands at the confluence of the Missouri and Cannonball Rivers in North Dakota, where temperatures are reaching into the 90s. Tribal members, he reports, from across the nation are beginning to stream in to the campsite, growing in population from between 500 or so, according to law enforcement, 
to some 4,000, according to tribal spokesmen earlier this week, all in what could be a protracted effort to stop the next major American oil pipeline from being built at all. This week, the tribes were in court in Washington, D.C., asking for an injunction to stop the construction. Today, I'm honored to be joined by David Archambo II, chairman of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, just back from that hearing in D.C. this week. Uh, Mr. Archambo, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you, Brad. Well, uh, it's an honor to be on your show. Uh, thank you. The honor is mine. I, I want to get into what is going on at the protest site, but first I want to make sure that I understand the issue in question here. The Dakota Access Pipeline, uh, at least as I understand it, has been uh, rooted around tribal reservation lands. So if so, what is the exact complaint and or the concern of your tribe concerning the construction of this new pipeline? So the, the Dakota Access Pipeline is... Uh, from an energy transport partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, energy transport partner is a Dallas-based corporation. Uh, this Dallas-based corporation is coming into North Dakota uh, with plans to build pipeline. Now, what our complaint is, is we have ancestral uh, grounds, ancestral lands, we have treaty lands, and we have the current day reservation uh, that we live on. Our uh, treaty lands, we have a treaty in 1851 is where this pipeline is going to cut through. We know there are sacred sites there. Mm-hmm. We know that there are things that we cherish. Uh, and we were never given the opportunity up front to uh, have the pipeline be, avoid those things. There were uh, two routes that were chosen. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was to avoid our ancestral lands, our treaty lands, and go north of Bismarck. Bismarck, North Dakota, the state capital of Bismarck. Mm -hmm. And that route was not chosen because someone from the city said we have fresh drinking water. When they chose our route, we raised the same concerns. We need fresh drinking water. We have water intakes. They they tell us, oh, there's there's a very little chance that this would ever breach, be breached. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I said, "Why, why don't you put it north of Bismarck then? All mm-hmm. because there's population of people there, and if, if it does breach, then uh, there's a greater impact. And, and the thing that bothers us is that it doesn't matter uh, of the size or the significance of the impact. There still will be an impact. Anything that's man-made will have an impact. So what we look at are not only our ancestral sites, but we're looking at the future generations. Mm-hmm. It may not impact, be impacting our drinking water today or tomorrow mm-hmm. if it does go through, but we have to look after the kids that are not even here yet. Mm-hmm. So what we're really doing is we're talking for our ancestors who are no longer here and can't speak, and we're talking for those children who are not even born yet from our nation. So we have a, a there's a serious issue here with these Dallas-based corporations that are driven by greed and money to get a project done at all costs. And the cost that has to be paid is a burden placed on tribes. And it's not just here, it's across the Indian country. That's why you see uh, this unity uh, coming together. You see tribes everywhere saying, you know, we, we are still here, 
please don't ignore us anymore. When I say anymore, it goes back to the 1851 treaty. That land was a contract entered into by the federal government with the tribal nation. That before the link, the ink was even dry, that treaty, treaty was broken. I, we entered into another treaty, the 1868 treaty, and that treaty is broken. We never were afforded the protection that this Dallas-based corporation is afforded mm. to come through the lands and tear them up, put 30-inch pipe in. And we all see what happens. There's a 50,000-barrel leak in the Yellowstone that feeds into There's benzene that got into the drinking water. The city of Glendive wasn't able to utilize our drinker water because the levels of benzene was too high. So there's there's uh, the, the environmental concerns, our future generation, our ancestral burial sites. You ask what the, the issue is, mm -hmm. there's too many yeah. uh, to, to list. Uh, our, th this is the biggest problem that tribes across this nation have is anytime there's an endeavor that this nation wants to pursue in, in interest of this nation's economy, our interest of energy independence, our interest of national security, they'll do a project, but the, the ones that pay the cost for this benefit are tribal nations. I could give you an example of the 1944 Flood Control Act for the Missouri River. Mm -hmm. There were seven dams built, and if you looked at those seven dams, and if you looked at the land that was inundated with floodwaters, you'll identify a reservation. Mm. We pay pay that cost, and we continue to pay that cost, so hydropower is created for this nation. Our, our most sacred place in the Black Hills, and in, in the Dakotas was the Black Hills. There was gold discovered in there. Because of that gold and the interests of this nation, our treaty was broken, and, and, our, and we were separated and put into current-day reservations. Our reservations lands, were, were allocated to individual members and whatever was left over was given. So we were never afforded the rights that this Dallas-based company gets to destroy Mother Earth. And it's, it's uh, disturbing to us. So the, I know in our, in our injunction, we're specific to ancestral burial sites in our argument, but it goes way above and beyond that. And now we're starting to see other issues surface. And what does the uh, did, did I understand you right that uh, there was two different options for the route, uh, and in both cases they said, well, if the drinking if if the pipeline is breached, uh, it could affect the drinking water, but it will affect more drinking water if it is uh, <laughs> at Bismarck rather than uh, less drinking the the drinking water of fewer people at the uh, uh, tribal area. Is that basically yeah. the what they said to you? Yeah, and because there's a concentrated number of people located mm -hmm. in the Bismarck, or um, let's say 160,000 people, yeah. if there's a breach, their drinking water would be affected. <laughs> because there's only uh, 8,000 people that live on my nation, they said it's a less impact. But what they don't take into consideration are all the communities and all uh, the people who are downstream, the millions of people downstream from us, Mm -hmm. um, they're only looking at a site 
Right, the uh, the local site there, as opposed to the poison that continues downstream. Now that your, your tribe has filed for an injunction, as you noted, uh, uh, to block, as I understand it, to block construction of the pipeline. You were at the uh, hearing in federal court in Washington D.C. on Wednesday. What specifically does the injunction seek at this time? Are you hoping to shut down the entire pipeline, or just simply have it re uh, rerouted around uh, around your uh, tribal uh, lands? We're, right now, we're asking that they just stop construction and give us an opportunity to to uh, demonstrate and show where their sacred sites. Mm-hmm. And if there's a sacred site identified, located, then let's discuss how to do. And that may mean reroute, or may mean mm-hmm. do not take, do not construct anymore. Um, there are all the legal options that we need to look at are yet to come. Mm-hmm. But we're just asking, don't do any more construction right now. What they 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 said they um, already scraped the land on majority of the project. So uh, we we've been asking them not to go this way ever since we learned about this. We said, stop, don't come here. Um, it's a half mile away from our reservation, and they they it seems like the company out of Dallas. Yeah, and the Corps of Engineers, uh, the federal government does not listen. And right now what's happening is tribes are are helping people remember that we are here and we still exist and we are a strong voice and to take notice. And and if, if anything, we set a precedence now for additional pipelines that may come or additional projects that... Mm -hmm are in the best interest of this nation for economic development or for national security or for energy independence to take a closer look and consult with the tribes in that area. We never had that opportunity. We never get that opportunity. Uh, They'll say that there was a public commission hearing. We're a nation. We're a sovereign nation. We're not a stakeholder or a citizen of the state to look for these public notices and newspapers as a government-to-government relationship, these public notices should have been brought to us and, and we should have sat down and deliberated on the issues and the facts and, and the routes. So is but it, we were never afforded that. So the, neither the, the state of North Dakota in this case nor the federal government, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, ever came to you as, as chairman of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe there uh, and, and the other tribes in the area to say, okay, what are your concerns about this pipeline? They just, the, the process completely took place around you guys? So it, it is not, well, the state never came, mm-hmm. but uh, with the Corps of Engineers, it's not until the final draft and, and the final plans are made, then they approach us. Mm. And that's not a uh, government-to-government relationship. Mm-hmm. We would ask, that before a project scoping takes place and if they're considering looking at an area that is on our ancestral lands or on our treaty lands or near our reservation or on our reservation that they sit down and consult with us so we can explain to them what the significance is of that land and what is uh, there that we cherish and potentially that would help them make a decision to route away from that. Uh, we're, not, we're not opposed to energy independence. We're not opposed to national security. 
We're not opposed to economic development. What we're opposed to is being ignored and having to pay for it and having our kids that are not even here yet yeah. pay for that. Well, it seems cost is too much. It seems they are no longer ignoring you. In the New York Times on Thursday, you wrote an op-ed, uh, Dave Archambo, uh, in which you write that, uh, quote, in recent weeks, the state of North Dakota has militarized my reservation. Uh, what does that mean? I know that thousands have are coming, streaming in from around the country to support this protest, but they are militarizing your reservation. What's going on out there? You know, when you have large masses of people coming for a cause, there will be demonstrations or demonstrators who who do, do this all the time. Mm -hmm. And and when they come, some of the behavior is not the norm. So uh, because of the masses and because of social media and because of uh, things that are not true, statements that are not true, on social media, the, before the government, state government, validates any information, they will make a hasty decision. By by militarizing it, they say we're going to put a roadblock up um, just south of Fort Lincoln, Custer, Custer's home, then mm -hmm. uh, that's like 25 miles north of the site. So what it what it does what it causes is it causes a hardship on the people who live down here, and they'll say it's for safety reasons. So so nobody gets hurt on the highway because the demonstration does take place on the highway, and there are people that are walking, but never has anybody been in danger. There are signs and there are 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 notifications, and people are aware of what's going on. So they come through and they travel travel slow with caution because of what's taking place. But for some reason, the state government wants to put a blockade nowhere near us, um, miles and miles away from where the, where the site is taken, and it, and it creates a hardship because uh, vehicles cannot come down. So I flew home last night. Mm -hmm. I flew home at, at uh, I got into the airport at midnight. And normally it takes me 45 minutes from the airport to get to my home in Cannonball, just south of where uh, the, there's a large camp. Uh, it took me an hour and a half to get home because I was rerouted, and I don't think there's any need for that. And the other part of it is they have low-flying aircraft, nonstop, circling and uh, observing or watching, and it irritates anybody that's in the area. So what is this plane? And it just goes in circles, mm. circles, circles around the camp. Then they call a state of emergency. The governor calls a state of emergency. It's, it's when this thing first started, we, the, the state deployed some, some emergency equipment, emergency vans for us to use because mm -hmm. we knew there were a lot of people coming. They had the equipment down there. They, de called a, they declared a state of emergency, and a few days later, they take their equipment out. So they leave us without any, anything, so that, and that's fine. We can manage on our own, but it just doesn't make sense, and it's just not right. And, this for, and it's making us feel like, what did we do wrong? Uh, we're trying to uh, let the world know there's a wrong going on, 
but yet it makes it look like we are doing something wrong. As I understand, North Dakota's Homeland Security Director has ordered the removal of state-owned trailers and water tanks from the Dakota Access Pipeline protest campsite uh, earlier this week, citing uh, mounting reports of unlawful activity, according to the Bismarck Tribune. Uh, so what has the, uh, the removal of those services? This is uh, drinking water. I know that, uh, uh, well, thanks in no small part to global warming, it's getting uh, hotter and hotter out there this week um, where the protesters are camped out. How many people uh, do you estimate are now at that campsite and are uh, people able to get uh, access to drinking water and other services that they might need out at the, uh, at the protest site? a lot of support. Um, the number of, of campers, the uh, number of people varies. Um, I know we will probably be over a thousand uh, right now and it can it go up and it can go down. People come and they go mm-hmm. uh, just to show support. We had over 120 tribal nations um, submit letters of support or resolutions saying they're behind us on this effort. Uh, so there are a lot of people and as far as the resources go, we are um, maintaining. We, we, we brought our own, uh, we brought a horse trailer that has supplies in there for, to, to replace the emergency service needs. We brought a horse trailer in that we put our supplies in. We brought uh, a 300-gallon tank, and if we, if we have to go and get that filled more often, then we'll get more water. You know, and then there's the support from other nations where they bring all kinds of stuff. You know, they bring perishable food, non-perishable food, um, meat, and so the camp kind of took a life of its own where we have services for to meet the needs, the smallest needs, that if there are any. Um, we're okay. If, if the state wanted to remove those, that's fine. Uh, but it's just a, just a uh, sense that they're doing it to try to squeeze us out. And, and that's what makes it uncomfortable. And that's what I'm concerned about. I know that on uh, last Friday, I believe it was, as you uh, mentioned, uh, North Dakota Governor Jack Dalrymple issued an emergency declaration uh, to make additional state resources available. But he has now called, apparently, for federal officials to help manage the situation. Do you have any idea what that actually means? Have you seen any evidence of, of federal officials? I believe the land is considered to be owned by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, but they, uh, I, I don't think they, the Army Corps itself has any, uh, you know, uh, abilities to manage people like this. Um, what does this mean, uh, asking for federal officials to manage the situation? Have you seen any sign of that yet? I haven't seen anything uh, as far as federal officials stepping in. And um, the situation was we had a camp. Mm-hmm original camp and it was in a location where we ran out of room so uh, knowing that more and more people were saying they were coming mm-hmm. we had to make space available close by and um, so we occupied because we call it an overflow and anytime there's a, an emergency what the tribe was trying to do is just accommodate for the masses mm-hmm. and we needed to find a, a space that would be available and to, to, that would make the most sense, common sense. This is a nice flat area. It's along the Cannonball River. It's on core land. 
It's not a private owner land. land private o- landowner doesn't own it, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it. You know, campers camp on core land all the time. Because it happened so quick, we said we'll we'll make the space available, and in the process, we'll have a permit. Uh, we'll be working on getting the permit for it. So that's what we have been doing. We're working on this. Um, I actually have a call here to the core uh, in regards to this. Uh, permit. I'm speaking with Dave Archambault II, the uh, chairman of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. Um, I have seen photos, I believe, of you, uh, uh, Dave, with uh, with President Obama in years past. Uh, have you been able to make any appeal to the president, to the White House uh, concerning this matter? Have you heard anything back from the uh, from the White House in regard to these concerns you've had? We, um, we drafted letters and we sent them in. Um, we, we let the, the um, staff know that we're at, reaching out to him, asking for his assistance. Where we asked for um, the, our congressional representatives uh, for assistance, but uh, it's, it's, I don't think it's like the president um, really doesn't didn't hasn't responded. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure if he's aware of the magnitude of this issue. Uh, the delegates from our state, um, they are in support of, of the pipeline because of the economic development. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, you know, I just try to explain to them that it can be done. Just I w- if I was them, I would avoid water. Water's too precious, mm. um, especially in the time when there's a shortage of water yeah. worldwide. And uh, you can still achieve their goals if it's economic development, energy independence, whatever their goal is, it can still be achieved uh, if the thought, if it's thought out, and if we had some input in this thought. There, uh, there were a number of arrests last week, uh, uh, Mr. Chairman, including, I believe, you as tribal chairman. Uh, what were those arrests for? Have have all the protesters since been released and? Uh, uh, well, what ha- what happened uh, that that led to those arrests? Yeah, I've been um, I've been arrested, but uh, the Dakota Access Company had filed a suit on me. So until uh, we go through a hearing, I'm not mm-hmm. going to talk about that issue right now. Fair enough. Um, but everyone is okay. The protesters who were arrested, the the campers, are no longer uh, uh, being held at this point. Not that I know of. Okay. And um, do you expect more folks, more tribes? I, I, I think I saw a report there was some two, a dozen or 20 different uh, people from some 20 different tribes now there. Are you expecting more to come? And how long uh, will, will, will you guys be camping out there? Is this uh, for the long haul until you get a, a, a decision from the, uh, from the federal courts on this? There's no um, timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not talking about timelines. We're, we're just looking at uh, how can we build awareness of the unjust acts that are being done to Indian country. And this is one battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, there will be many battles. Um, but the way we're, we're approaching this is a peaceful battle. We are doing it in a good way uh, with unity and prayer and not with combat or violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with unity and prayer... Uh, that is re- uh, sends a really strong message across the nation, across other countries, 
across the world that prayer is powerful and our prayers are being answered with the support that shows up so I can't give you a timeline of mm -hmm. how long we're going to be there or what's going to happen or what we're going to do I just know that we're going to continue to, to be united and we're going to continue to pray and this is going to be a pathway on how to address other issues or concerns that may uh, be present with our with our tribes or with our people. When do uh, when do we expect a decision from the D.C. court at this time concerning your injunction to stop the uh, the construction of the pipeline there? He's the judge. The judge. Uh, we were anticipating three results yesterday. Uh, one was to rule in our favor. That would have been the most favorable. The second would have been to uh, rule in uh, the defendant's favor. That that would never that wouldn't have uh, helped us. Right. I wouldn't have been. Uh, that would have been the least favorable. But the the second best thing was to delay his ruling, and uh, his ruling is set for September 9th, with uh, five days after that for an appeal for either party. And it to to me it, it just helps when the ju a judge doesn't make a decision without thoroughly going through the facts mm -hmm. and taking a look at what's going on here. Um, it also gives us opportunity to express, continue to express uh, what is bothersome to us, what, is, what are our concerns, and we can let the world know that this is going on and, and get the support behind us where it's needed to, to take a look at this Dallas-based company yeah. who is ramrodding through Indian country, a, a pipeline that would be devastating not only to our ancestors but to our future generations. Has the uh, construction, while you're waiting for this decision, then the construction has at least temporarily been halted uh, until you hear back from the courts? I'm not sure. Uh, right now at the site, at the Wahi site, we are not seeing construction, but that doesn't mean that the company mm -hmm. ceased construction. They, they, this is an 1160 mile pipeline, mm -hmm. 30 inch diameter, uh, carrying 550 barrels of crude oil with benzene to, to loosen it up. Mm -hmm. And this is going uh, in, they're, they're, they're doing construction all along this. So I can't tell you whether or not they stopped construction because mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not I'm monitoring every mile. But in the area, in other words, in the area of the protest, I know that they had been actually, you know, building there. Has has that been stopped uh, nearby the uh, nearby the protest campsite? Today, there's no construction. Okay, but it could start at any time. It sounds like uh, Dave Archambault. Where can people get more info about what is going on down there, and and how can they help? How can the rest of the uh, the nation, the rest of the world, actually help support your fight? I, I, I would say that. If you want to be helpful and support, write to your Congress, write to your representatives. Ask them to take a look at this and, and stop this pipeline from going in uh, right here so close to our our nation and within our treaty lands. Send, send a message to them. The more people that do that, the better. Um, you can go on the Standing Rock Sioux Tribal uh, Facebook page is where we're putting a lot of information out on that uh, because social media is uh, uh, a medium that uh, is used 
also have a website, uh, standingrock.org. But a lot of the stuff, information we get, the letters of support, we, we try to post on our uh, Facebook page. Very good. Uh, we'll point folks to both that Facebook page and standingrock.org. David Archambault, the second chairman of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. Good luck with the uh, fight. Thank you for that fight. And uh, I hope you'll not mind if we uh, check back in with you in the days ahead as this uh, as the fight continues, because I suspect it, it could be going on for quite a while, Dave. Okay. Thank you very much. You bet. Thank you very much. All right, a quick break, and we're back with the Green News Report and a bit more. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Desi Doyen will get to our Green News uh, report in a moment. But uh, your thoughts on uh, David Archambault's uh, and actually on the entire uh, fight, the the protest up there in uh, in the Dakotas. Well, I think that one of the things that he mentioned and we didn't really get to delve into with him was the fact that pipeline spill. Mm-hmm. All pipelines spill. Yeah. They always have and they always will. And so when he's referring to, I think he, he mentioned at one point, the Yellowstone River pipeline spill. Mm-hmm. That was back in 2011. There's actually been two pipeline spills on the Yellowstone River. One just uh, back in last January in 2015. And those slip, put an oil slick over 40 miles downstream from the pipeline spill itself. There was also another pipeline spill in Kalamazoo, Michigan. That one went 70 miles downstream. Down the so, Kalamazoo River, and they're still trying. They're still fighting to clean that up because exactly. it was that thick tar sands, uh, tar bitumen sands oil. oil. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, this is something that is not a non-trivial issue for them. And I found it just kind of horrific that the Army Corps of Engineers would think, oh, well, there are fewer people here who would lose their drinking yes. water if this spills. So we're going to make them the sacrifice zone. Yep. The sacrifice zone. Indeed, uh, Bill McKibben's uh, article that I quoted from at the top of that segment, uh, the headline there was, After 525 years, it's time to actually listen to Native Americans. I think uh, I agree with Bill McKibben there. Absolutely. And by the way, I agree with him enough that I will listen to you sometime. We'll have to talk on this show about your very important Native American uh, uh, heritage. (laughs) But not today, because we got to get to it. Our latest Green News report. Absolutely catastrophic flooding going on in eastern and central India. More than 300 dead, millions displaced by flooding in India. As of today, federal support has reached $127 million. President Obama pledges Louisiana flood victims will not be forgotten. 
Very bad news for wolves in Washington state. Plus, as FDR once said, there is nothing so American as our national parks. Celebrating the 100th birthday of the National Park Service. Happy there's something to celebrate this week. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. What I want the people of Louisiana to know is that you're not alone on this, even after the TV cameras leave. Wait, have the TV cameras got there? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, a very rough week for planet Earth. Remarkable disasters, not the least of which is the Italy earthquake going on all across the globe. Yes, indeed. Uh, Let's start in Louisiana, where President Obama this week promised victims of the deadly historic flood disaster that killed 13 people in Baton Rouge that they would not be forgotten, pledging the federal government's commitment to the years-long process of recovery. Once the floodwaters pass, people's attention spans pass. Uh, This is not a one-off. This is not uh, a a photo op issue. This is how do you make sure that a month from now, three months from now, six months from now, people still are getting the help that they need. In his remarks, the president didn't mention climate change, which has been credited with intensifying the floods in Louisiana. And after he spoke in Baton Rouge, down in New Orleans, four protesters were arrested for trying to stop the Interior Department's Bureau of Ocean Energy Management from auctioning off leases for oil and gas exploration in the Gulf of Mexico. Mm. Just to make matters worse. In central India, floods from heavy monsoon rains have submerged entire villages, killing at least 300 people and displacing more than 6 million, with thousands in relief camps. The devastation hasn't attracted much attention from the international media. The CEO of charity group Save the Children says that India's floods are, quote, seen as a chronic problem, so they often no longer attract adequate attention from either the media or donors that is necessary for emergency relief and long-term solutions. More than 300 are dead, millions are dislocated, and they're having trouble getting the media to even pay attention. Meanwhile, a new study concludes that natural disasters linked to climate change, like floods and droughts, are, quote, a threat multiplier that increases the risk of armed conflicts. The Potsdam Institute for Climate Research found that in the last half century, 23 percent of violent clashes in ethnically divided regions were preceded by environmental disasters. They said it, quote, played a prominent and almost ubiquitous role, specifically in areas that were already seeing deep cultural divisions. Well, that's not good news for India. Nope, it certainly isn't. And it's not good for the U.S. Republicans love to talk about national security. And once again, we have more evidence that climate change, which they think is a hoax, makes national security that much harder here in the U.S. In Montana, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has shut down 183 miles of the Yellowstone River to stop the spread of a parasite that has killed thousands of fish. The parasite is thriving thanks to conditions created by extended drought and record warm river temperatures. The parasite poses no danger to humans, but humans are responsible for its spread. Bad news for wolves in Washington state, where the State Department of 
Fish and Wildlife has approved a plan to kill 11 wolves, comprising all of the remaining members of a single wolf pack. Ranchers and officials say the pack has killed at least 15 cattle since early July that were grazing on public lands. The Center for Biological Diversity criticized the extermination plan in a statement saying, quote, we don't support the killing of the public's wildlife on public lands. Finally, speaking of public lands, Thursday marked the 100th birthday of the National Park Service. Not the parks, but the agency that manages them. Attendance is booming at the parks, but budget cuts forced by Congress have created a $12 billion backlog in maintenance. Last month, the Park Service proposed a controversial solution recognizing major donors with limited naming rights on some park items, similar to how museums recognize donors to raise funds. In honor of the National Park Service centennial, President Obama this week created the nation's newest national monument in Maine, the Katahdin Woods and Waters National Monument. That's the first step toward what is likely to be the last new national park ever for the Northeast. Here's an idea. What if we take those 11 wolves from Washington State and let them loose inside the U.S. Congress? Just an idea. For much more on all of those stories, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Okay, I, I guess I have to say I didn't really mean I want to unleash uh, 11 endangered wolves into the uh, U.S. Congress. <laughs> okay. Although I'd kind of like to. That would be kind of fun. Uh, we didn't have time to note there, but uh, there's only 19 uh, confirmed gray wolf packs in all of Washington state. That makes only 90 wolves, according to the uh, latest census from the uh, Department of Fish and Wildlife. So you're talking, Desi Doyen, about 12 percent of the confirmed state population uh, is going to be killed in this. Uh, Democratic State Senator Kevin Ranker had said he was originally told they were going to kill only half of the pack and see if the... Uh, uh, the, the killings of the cows uh, stopped, uh, but then he was removed that, no, we're going to kill all of them. So that he, he's very upset. They haven't implemented their first plan. They're just going straight to plan B. Yes, and there is some question whether the rancher is being responsible with where he's putting his animals, but the Wolf Advisory Council agreed with the decision, so we'll have to see if that works. Just two other things. That national monument, the new national monument that we have in Maine, really interesting story about how the founder, co-founder of Burt's Bees has been trying to give this land away. You'll find that linked on Trying our... to give the land away to the federal government, right? right. For the park. Right. right. And you'll find that full story. It's really interesting on our website at greennews.bradblog.com and also that oil and gas lease sale for the Gulf of Mexico yeah. kind of turned out to be a dud. The federal government offered 24 million acres, only sold leases for 183,000 acres probably because of the glut in oil prices means that, hey, maybe oil industry is not as interested now. Oh, sad trombone. Uh, my thanks to our guest, David Archambo of the uh, Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. Get more information about what's going on up there at standingrock.org. To our producer, Desi Doyen, and of course to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is, as ever, greatly appreciated. Uh, you can uh, drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. 
And you can find and follow me and say nice things or not nice things about me and to me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Thank you.